Good evening, everybody. My name's Ed, and I'm an alcoholic. I was talking to our speaker before the meeting, and uh, I was trying to figure out a fit way to introduce him, and he said he's just another drunk who stumbled in here off of life's rocky road. So let me give you from a Friday night brains damage group at Oak Street, Skip R. Everybody, my name is Skip, and I am a very grateful recovering alcoholic. Thanks to all of you. Uh, you know, it's wonderful to be here and to see Bob and Tom and Buzz and Jeans uh, to louse up somebody's anonymity. You know, I beat Gene uh, to Nickabaca Hospital with Dr. Silkworth by about two months in 1946. Can you imagine what it had been like if we both met there? Because I guess we both went on drinking for a fair spell. Uh, the big book says, tell it like it was, and what happened, and how it is now, and I could really sum that up in about 20 seconds. It was lousy, I got sick and tired of being sick and tired, and it's wonderful. You know, and that's really the way my life was in, I guess, two stretches, because even though I just celebrated my 19th year of sobriety, prior to that, I had a four-year period of dabbling with alcohol, and then 12 years sobriety before that. So out of, and I'll be 62 in October, so I have had basically half my life has been without a drink uh, through AA. Uh, I never drank normally, to the best of my knowledge, from the first time I ever drank. Uh, it was a godsend to me. Uh, it made me what I wanted to be, not what I was. And I would submit that possibly many of us who are alcoholics, had alcohol do that for them. I became instantaneously handsome, slender, uh, erudite, all of those things that I really wanted to be and yet was not. And that was from the time I was, I guess, 13, 14. Uh, I was probably very lucky. I was uh, raised in that wonderful institution that has produced so many of us, a good Christian family. Uh, to the best of my knowledge, none of my antecedents and none of my, well, I take it back, one of my descendants is a drunk. This December, my son will have three years sobriety. Uh, I don't think this proves that it's inherited. Uh, I don't think anybody today still knows why I became an alcoholic and my sister didn't. Uh, and I, you know, it doesn't really matter. Uh, the fact remains that I became one. And I used it as a crutch right from the very first time I drank. I got out of the war in 46, and I guess I was discharged in 
August, September, and it probably took me a month and a half to get to Knickerbocker Hospital. But when you're just 21 years old, nobody was going to tell me that I was an alcoholic. I might have had a minor problem with drinking on occasion, but alcoholic I was not. Alcoholics were 50, 60 years old, uh, had lost jobs, had lost wives. Hell, I hadn't even gotten married yet. You know, and therefore I couldn't possibly be an alcoholic, and I had a good 30 years of drinking ahead of me. And for the next five years, I was in and out of AA like a revolving door. I did find out very early on what most of us who are young and have caring people about us find out, is that when you come into AA, your parents, your family, your friends, your employers, your girlfriends, boyfriends, husbands, wives will forgive an awful lot. They have very short memories. They always enabled me to go on for another five years of in and out of AA when I got sick and tired or sick enough or tired enough, I would come running back to AA. I had a wonderful sponsor. His name was Samuel Stratton Jennings. He's been dead for 15 years now. He was a lawyer and a good one. And uh, he was the best sponsor in the world for me because he represented me at three sanity hearings. Uh, in New York, if you try to kill yourself, they think you're nuts. And after a certain drying out period in Bellevue, they insist that you go before a sanity hearing, and I am certified sane three times. <laughs> AA really didn't have a chance to do anything for me because I didn't want sobriety. I wanted to get out of this mess of trouble or that mess of trouble or get my back bills paid up. Uh, and AA enabled me to do that, or it enabled my friends, family, and so forth to let me get by with another round of drinking and so forth. And eventually, after my third sanity hearing and 13th trip to Bellevue, I guess I finally decided that maybe Skip Robertson did have a drinking problem. And lo and behold, Alcoholics Anonymous miraculously worked because I wanted to do something about my drinking and I did what all of us have been told since the first time we came in uh, you don't drink anytime any place with anybody you go to meetings you read the big book you know it was as simple as that I became active in AA affairs in New York uh, and back in those days there were an awful lot of meetings to go to we started a couple of young people's group. Back then, I was young. Uh, and, uh, you know, I enjoyed AA. I became active in it and uh, worked at it. Uh, met my wife in AA. Uh, at that time, I was well aware of this uh, anachronistic view of don't 13th step. Uh, 
You know, and after observing that for a few years, uh, I met Sally, and we ended up getting married, and we've been married 33 years now. I have to stop and think. So sometimes it does work. Sometimes it does work. Uh, we were jointly active in AA. Uh, I went to work for a company that I was with for just under 30 years. I uh, got transferred out to Cincinnati in 1956. Uh, attended meetings at this group when it was in the basement of the bank. Uh, God, I remember Jim W. over there that I saw tonight. Uh, he was the first guy I ever made a 12-step call back in the fall of 1956. Uh, wasn't successful for a while, but, you know, I went back out drinking too. Uh, I had 12 years sobriety, and I had stopped going to meetings. I, and when you do that long enough, uh, sometimes it happens very quickly with me. It took, uh, you know, a, a period of time because uh, every time I took a shower and washed my arms, I could see uh, various and sundry uh, stitches and scars and so forth where I tried to kill myself. And that's a very uh, good deterrent. You know, it, it makes you remember, but eventually time and... Uh, heals all wounds, and I decided I could drink again. And uh, my wife had been practicing off and on for a couple of years, and I guess I drank for a year and a half or two years, and Sally and I finally decided that really we were adults, you know, and we weren't alcoholics, and we could probably drink together. And I really think it was much more successful when we drank separately. Uh, and that went on for about another year and a half, and in, uh, I guess, July of 68, uh, we'd gotten back to Cincinnati from vacation in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It was disastrous. And Sally came back to AA, and uh, I took her to the first meeting she'd gone back to, which was the old Roselawn meeting. Uh, went there, and of course I made a complete fool out of myself by making it absolutely definite that Sally was the one with the drinking problem, and I was merely there as a chauffeur and an interested onlooker. <laughs> and about two months later, I had to call up Eddie Bauer, uh, who came over to the house. I guess it was August 27th, 1968, and I couldn't stop then because I was hung over to the nth degree and I had to take six engineers from Armco to the first Bengals football game. And that was the last drink I had, uh, and I had to have those. I, through this program, uh, the help of God and of all you people, I have not found it necessary to take a drink since. Over the years, I let me say first of all that anything I say tonight is my own opinion, and Ed would say probably not a very good one, but it is my own. I have never 
come up with anything original about AA. I am not an expert in it. All I know about is Skip Robertson and what worked for me. And I also know what doesn't work for me because I had many, many bouts of how to do it incorrectly. And, you know, eventually, no matter how hard-headed you are, if you live, if you're lucky enough to live, uh, you pick up a few things and you're able to sort of pack them together uh, and you come up with a program that works for you. Uh, I've had some wonderful sponsors over the year, years, starting back with Sam Jennings in New York. Uh, Eddie Bauer was a sponsor of mine for years until he died. Uh, some good friends of mine were people that I started out hating their guts. Al Colopy was one. Oh, he was a mean sucker. Didn't like Al for two beans. Didn't. Uh, and yet when I came back in the second time uh, in 1968, uh, Phil McVaugh, Al Colopy, a couple of the other ones that really said it as it was. And, you know, excuses really got you nothing. They, they knew all the tricks, and uh, I didn't like that, really. You know, but I made a point of week after week after week going up and saying, Hi, Al. It's good to see you, and I really couldn't have cared less, you know, really. But eventually, as time passes, it got to where, you know, I was really glad to see Al, and I was really glad to see Phil, uh, and to see so many of my friends in AA that I had started out feeling infinitely superior to, because I was, you know, a very, very superior person. Uh, I still have a minor problem with humility. Uh, but back then it was a bad problem. It really was. Uh, and it's something that over the years I have tried to correct, sometimes with greater success, but usually with just a small amount of success. But over the years I have learned a number of things that Skip Robertson has to do. Uh, one of the greatest lessons I ever learned was after my first year of coming back with both Sally and I not drinking. Now, mind you, that was out of a household of three people where two were practicing alcoholics, and we both stopped drinking. And at the end of a year, I had never owed more money in my life. This is obviously not right. This should not happen. Where were all the good things that I had heard about, the instantaneous successes that you hear about in so many of the leads? You know, that life turned around and became rosy, and, you know, success followed success. Watch it. Uh, baloney. <laughs> this does not always happen. Uh, I got paid on a monthly basis, and it was... Very discouraging for one obviously suited for the better life that I was to deposit your monthly check in the bank, write checks for 15 minutes, and you're broke. You know, you work 30 days, so you have money for 30 minutes. This 
that's not right. And I laugh, <laughs> laugh. You know, this was not something that should happen to somebody as obviously talented, well-read, well-versed in engineering and selling pumps. This should not happen, but it did. And I developed a very, very bad case of the poor little old me's. Or uh, I had as my throne the pity pot. Uh, and I was getting, I suppose, closer and closer to the point where if this is sobriety, hell, I'll take drinking. At least I didn't know that money. I stole a lot more, uh, but I didn't know it. Uh, and I had gotten into the habit, my office at that time was in the old Rookwood Pottery Building, and I'd go down to St. Mary's, uh, to Good Shepherd Hall, and they used to play those tapes interminably they played those tapes and I was talking to an employee of my company who was a serviceman who was incarcerated there for a, uh, a short period of time and we were talking one afternoon right after lunch and all of a sudden I happened to hear what that tape was saying I to this day I don't know who made it it was a man and I suddenly picked it up where he was saying, AA only promises me one thing. AA does not promise me that if I stop drinking that I am going to have money in my pocket, that I'm going to keep my old job, get a new job. It was not an employment agency. It wasn't a matrimonial bureau. I wasn't necessarily going to keep my wife, find a new wife, get a girlfriend on the side, or any of the other good things. Uh, AA was not going to guarantee me serenity, peace of mind, happiness. The only thing that AA flat out guaranteed Skip Robertson was that if I didn't take a drink today, tomorrow morning, I could decide if I wanted to drink or to ask for help to have another day without drinking. You know, and for the first time in my, in my life, I guess, I suddenly realized that just because I was an alcoholic and had a drinking problem, that the world owed me nothing flat out the world didn't owe me a thin red dime that my success or failure in the business world depended on me uh, on my developing more positive traits of selling Worthington pumps because that's what I sold uh, back at that time uh, in 69 I guess there was a fairly severe recession and you couldn't give a pump away uh, you know and that AA didn't owe me anything because I wasn't drinking and the world didn't owe me anything because I wasn't drinking that I was still a member of the human race that I was still subject to all the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune which beat upon me regularly uh, 
And, you know, at the end of that lead, when I left, my life turned around 180 degrees. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard it said that, you know, there are miracles in AA, and I was convinced for years, you know, that a miracle had never touched me. But small things like that, you know, convinced me that there is a house of miracles and that it's AA. And it, it takes us a while, possibly, to understand when this miracle suddenly hits. Uh, I'll give you another example. Sally and I were up in Chicago last weekend, uh, and we were staying at a hotel right across the street was uh, I. Magnans or Neiman Marcus, one of those, and Sally needed a lipstick. She had forgotten to put one in, so we went over there uh, to buy one. And there were two sales clerks at that particular counter, and Sally had started out talking to one, and they couldn't find something she wanted. So the other sales clerk came over, and when it came time to pay, it was the other sales clerk that I happened to pay. And I'm Scotch descent, and I carry one of these wee change purses, eh? And I opened it up, and my AA anniversary coin came out. And she said, oh, I've been in the fellowship for four and a half years. Uh, and there's a Sunday meeting at about three blocks down the street. Why don't you come? You know, and that's another miracle. And we went and had a very enjoyable time. Uh, and we weren't really looking, you know, we weren't planning. But I would submit that it is best not to ignore little opportunities like that. <laughs> so we went and had a good time. Uh, and shortly after the meeting, Sally, we were leaving a restaurant, and she sprained her ankle badly, and she hobbled for the next three or four days on crutches. Uh, but, you know, having gone to the meeting, I'm convinced, made the remainder of the stay in Chicago a lot more pleasant than it would have been had we not gone to that meeting. Um, and these are the little signposts that the good Lord and uh, AA, I guess, puts in our paths, if we're smart enough to recognize them. I also know that I've missed a lot of these little signposts. You know, and I, I take it for granted that it was my just desserts that brought this obvious piece of good luck my way. But uh, back... Uh, after that happened, my life did turn around. I still uh, had Eddie Bauer as a sponsor. I still went to the, uh, the meetings. I was still active in AA. But my whole attitude on life and my acceptance of what happened to me had changed around. And, and you know, when you're grateful, honestly grateful for being sober one day at a time and when you stop to remind yourself that you know but for the grace of God I could be over the Rhine uh, if you stop to think that what you have accomplished in the past few 24 hours was a direct result of not taking a drink one day at a time and trying to change yourself
bit by bit by trying to follow the 12 steps. You know, life is more fun and, and really becomes a ball. Uh, you know, since I sobered up, let's see, I've had about six operations. I'm relatively blind in one eye. I've had a lens implant in the other. I've had open heart surgery. And I'm probably healthier today than when I was when I was 35 years old. <laughs> And hopefully I can stick the government for a long time on Social Security. <laughs> this is currently my aim. This is my goal, to, to really sock it to them. But life, life is fun now. Uh, you know, and I guess one of the things when I came out here from New York, AA was different here in New York. We used to have three... 20-minute leads at a meeting and you know I became very acclimated to that and I liked that I liked a high bottom middle bottom and bottom bottom drunk you know I, I like the diversity of opinions I like the chance to hear more than one person speak uh, when I came out here to Cincinnati there was the conventional one lead that sometimes they were boring uh sometimes they were terrific uh i have never gone to a meeting yet that i haven't gotten something out of something that i can apply if i'm intelligent enough to pick it up to my life to help me live a better and more rewarding life all the answers are here al colopy used to say Everything he needs is right here in his hands. And taking the first drink will just throw it all away. Uh, I have always felt very guilty about praying to God for something that I want very badly. Whether it's a big order from business, whether it's to be lucky in the poker game and beat Eddie. Uh, you know, the real important things in life, I've felt very guilty about praying for those. Uh, so I don't. But I have found over the years that what you ask for in your heart will be given you. Maybe not in the way you think you should have it. Uh, but your needs will be answered. Uh, over the years, Sally and I have never starved. You know, we've always had money on uh, in our pockets to buy a meal to pay our bills. Uh, we haven't fallen behind on the rent. There were times we came close. Uh, and we've had a very good life. Uh, and all of it is directly attributable to AA, nothing that I have done or that Sally has done has, has given this to us. Sobriety in AA enables Sally to go back to the university, get two extra degrees, go to work for GE as an engineer. And when I got fired from my job after 30 years because we were bought by another company, lo and behold, her medical covered both of us the same, you know, just as though I still had a job with, with the medical coverage. Um, 
You know, and if it hadn't been for AA, Sally would not have gotten her master's degree in math. And I know for sure she'd never have gone back and gotten her degree in engineering or worked for, for GE. So that all of these things have been given to us as a direct result of staying sober one day at a time. You know, all the platitudes of AA, Lord, I hated them when I was out drinking that four-year period. You know, the easy does it, the first things first, the one day at a time, the let go, let God, good God, those were dumb. I mean, mercy. Uh, I, I think one of the greatest lessons I got was, you know, that you don't have to like the other person in AEA, but you've got to love them. Uh, and, you know, for years I sort of figured that was at least a halfway uh, physical type attachment of love. And today, with the AIDS epidemic, that's pretty dangerous thinking. <laughs> but I was at a, I was with Eddie Bauer up at a lead in, uh, at the London prison farm that Eddie was giving. And, you know, he said all that love is is one person's concern for another person's need. And all of a sudden I understood why you have to be loving and caring about your fellows in AA. You don't have to like the suckers, but you have to be concerned that their needs are being met and that they are getting out of AA as much as they can get and if it's your lot to be able to help them uh, get a little more so be it. Uh, one of the other sayings that I never really understood was that you know you have to give it away in order to get it and I remember minor R I guess he belongs here uh, years ago gave a lead in which he said, in, in which he likened that particular saying to a river that's been dammed up. And if the dam is built so high that it can never overflow, the impoundment behind it becomes stale. Uh, the water will grow all those wonderful weeds and fungus, and it will become filled with dying plants. There's no oxygen. There's nothing to give it life. But if you put a spillway in that dam so that the water can flow out, then there'll be constantly room for fresh ideas, fresh thoughts, fresh feelings to come into your dam. And so giving it away will help you get more. And that helped me understand that. I'm somewhat thick-headed, and I need allegories like that to show me what it means. Now, you'd think having been in AA off and on for 20 years when I finally heard that, that I've learned it before, and I must have heard it a hundred times and never understood it. And AA continually helps me get a better understanding of Skip Robertson. Uh, I am inherently a very selfish person. Uh, I suppose I was 40, 45 years old when I heard Eddie Bauer saying that you don't 
you know, that loving, that love for one person is caring about his or her needs. You know, and I suddenly realized that I had never really honestly cared about anybody in my life. People were a convenience. Uh, they helped Skip Robertson's life uh, be nice and pleasant and flow smoothly. Uh, Sally was a good wife as long as she stayed sober and cooked and had the meals on the table and didn't bitch too much. You know, and Rob was a fine son as long as he, you know, got good grades at school and this, that, and the other thing. So I could point and say, that's my son. You know, he took right, chip off the old block. And it took me uh, a long time to realize that I had never really cared about people. There is still, an, unfortunately, a large area of improvement for me in that area of honestly caring about other people's needs. But today I, I at least know when I should be more caring and I will try. I have a great deal of difficulty listening. Uh, I'm more a talker. I'm probably one of the few people you know that attended Dale Carnegie to learn how to shut up instead of talk. Uh, because I, I, I still have difficulty sitting still and being a good listener and asking questions. Uh, I am not perceptive uh, that way. And it's, uh, it's an area that I have tried to do better with, but I think I'm really lacking uh, in that particular department. But at least I, I am aware of it. You know, and for years I wasn't aware, I didn't think I had a fault. You know, I thought I was about as close to perfect as you could get. Uh, you know, I figured almost that I could walk across the river to Kentucky without bothering with the bridges. I was that good. And when I was drinking, I was even better than that. Uh, so it, it's been a learning process, and it, it still is. Uh, and every meeting I go to, thank heavens, is still a fresh meeting for me. But, you know, I know there are a number of people out here who have heard me give this lead, and, you know, my story really doesn't change. Uh other than whatever small growth I hope I've had, that's the only thing that can change. What was yesterday and uh, before that, you know, is going to be the same now as it was a year ago, as it was 10 years ago. Uh, I still had those 13 trips to Bellevue. I still consider one of my high accomplishments at Bellevue was that I was able to hand out the shots of Peraldehyde. You know, and I loved Peraldehyde. That was good medicine. That was very good stuff. Uh, and I was a trustee. <laughs> I, I, you know, that was the high point of my career for, you know, for several years. Uh, you know, I remember when Mabel used to run the leads at uh, Longview. 
And I used to, to go to those meetings about once every four or five months because it was a prime example to me of what was going to happen to Skip Robertson if I kept drinking. I still remember old Eddie there who used to slap, you know, just sit there in the meeting, wouldn't say a word, and he'd pound hell out of his right knee. That was all he did. Uh, and there were a number of other people there that were brain damaged uh, to the degree where they could not function in the outside world. And there were other people there that could function after a fashion, but they had become so institutionalized, you know, that they were afraid to go out and try and function in the outside world. And they couldn't. When they did, they had to go back to drinking. This is the end of side one. Turn tape over now to hear side two. This is the end of side one. Turn tape over now to hear side two. This is the end of side one. Turn tape over now to hear side two. Just thank God that I was given the opportunity to get the hell out of Bellevue after 13 trips. Uh, because, you know, when you've been there that many times, it becomes a safe place. You know, you're given your little shot of paraldehyde, and if they trust you, you might be able to get two. And you play poker all afternoon for cigarettes, and then you line up in your little soggy slippers, and you go uh, and eat. And you didn't have to worry about uh, where you were going to end up sleeping or whether you were going to end up in jail or how you were going to pay the bills. Everything was taken care of for you. And it was a very easy life. Uh, you know, I was scared to death of that happening to me. I remember years ago, I can't remember whether it was Emmett Ackerman or Eddie Bauer or Al Colopy, one of the ABCs, said that if a person is an alcoholic, you can liken him or her, bless you, uh, you know, we uh, have exactly the same standards, uh, men and women now. Uh, either him or her was a stick of dynamite. And there was a fuse attached to that individual. And if he or she went back out drinking again, the fuse was lit. There was only one trouble. Nobody knew whether that fuse was a half inch long or six feet. And when it was off, uh, when it went off, it was finished with engines. And over the years, I'm sure that Tom or Bob or uh, Gene or any of us can think of any number of people who have gone out for that one more chance because I'm sure I can do it now and they're either in jail or they're dead or they're in uh, Romans or Longview or something like that and there's been a lot of them and we just don't know how long our fuse is and I've tested that's so many times that I'm scared to try it one more time. 
And I've also heard it said that, hey, we all got one more drunkenness. I just don't know if I have one more recovery. And I'm just chicken enough that I really don't want to find out. You know, I prefer to wake up in the morning and ask for help to stay sober and keep away from the first drink one more day. I guess the wonderful thing about AA is that it is a very, very simple program for infinitely complicated people. All you do is you don't drink today with anybody at any time in any place. Read the book, book and go to meetings. And it, you know, AA is as simple as that. We tend to complicate it. I tend to complicate it. I think one of the other terrific features of AA that I am sure uh, was thought of by Bill and Bob when they started it is that there are no absolute rules. In fact, the only real rule that I know of down at Oak Street is that after the first time you can't go there with liquor on your breath. You know, all the rest is we suggest. They are suggested 12 steps. They are not the absolute 12 steps. And I'm sure that some of us have worked a nine-step program. Hell, when I came in, all I could really work was the first step. Uh, and not that too well, obviously. But all of these things are made simple so that we complicated people can take it one step at a time and not start by not taking the same drink. The first drink. Now I'm getting confused. Uh, it's a simple program. It's difficult to do. Uh, it's very difficult to do. Over the years, I have had friends in the program whose life was turned completely upside down after they'd had 5, 10, 15 years sobriety. You know, they got divorced, or their husband or wife left them, or they lost their job, you know, or they had to file for bankruptcy because of, a, of an oil crisis or things like that. Uh, you know, but they all survived, the ones who really lived the AA program, the ones who put their trust in a higher power, whether you call it God or uh, Muhammad or, or who, it really doesn't matter. As long as you are firmly convinced that you are not doing this yourself, that some power outside of you is helping you stay sober one day at a time and helping you uh, keep on wanting to stay sober. Uh, you know, it, it, names really don't mean anything. Uh, and I guess if I have any message that I really want to get out is to hang in there. You know, it does and it will get better. Maybe not when you or I expected to, but it will get better for us at some point in time. And that Alcoholics Anonymous can do for us 
what we were totally and entirely incapable of doing for ourselves. It can give us the opportunity to become useful members of society again. If that's what you want to be. If you want to be a bum, you can be a sober bum. But, you know, it will give us the opportunity to make our choices again. And when I was drinking, I didn't have any choice. I had to keep on drinking. I am awfully glad that I was not brought up 20, 25 years later when the drug culture took in uh, over because I would have, you know, gee, talk about mind-altering substances. Man, I would have been a... Uh, I'd have been gone on that. And I'm sure it would have killed me a lot quicker than alcohol tried to. I'm awfully glad that Ed gave me the chance to come here tonight, shortly after my 19th anniversary. Uh, I wish I had been able to say something truly eccentric, or, or, or notable or erudite, but, you know, I've never been that way, and I've just hung in there one day at a time trying to listen and to use what you people have given me as a good way to lead a sober life. I appreciate this opportunity because, you know, I don't always go back over why I suddenly decided I was an alcoholic. I don't always remember that I had 13 trips to Bellevue. I don't always remember that I tried to kill myself three times before I was 26. You know, I don't always remember why I am down at Oak Street Friday night. You know, sometimes I think it's the poker game. I enjoy that, but, you know, that's really not the reason why I'm there. But it takes a rehash of one's life to understand the true meaning of being grateful. And I really am, and I thank you.